Welcome to episode 323 of Farmers Inside Track, your gateway to the world of all things farming and food production. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, and today's episode promises to be both educational and thought-provoking. Our guest is Dr. Lisa Rothman, a lecturer in plant sciences at the University of the Free State. With a PhD and certification in natural sciences, she possesses a deep understanding of the challenges and opportunities in sorghum farming in Mzanzi. Together, we'll be exploring the major diseases affecting sorghum crops, advancements in disease-resistant varieties, the impact of climate change, the role of genetics, and much more. So, whether you're a farmer, a researcher, or simply curious about the future of sorghum farming, Stay tuned for an informative and engaging discussion. Dr. Lisa Rothman, it's so great to have you with us here on Farmers Inside Track. I think you're absolutely amazing and your contributions to the agricultural sector is truly valuable. And I cannot wait to pick your brain on today's topic. But before we get into it, I usually love to start with a bit of introduction of who you are and what you do within the agricultural space. Welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation, Dawn. I'm really excited to be here. A little bit about myself and my involvement in the agricultural space is I've done my master's under the supervision of Professor Neil McLaren, who absolutely loves sorghum. For my PhD, I shifted over and I worked on Sclerotinia stem and hedrot of oilseed crops. And that has remained my focus for the last five years while working at the University of the Free State. And yeah, I really love working with a variety of producers. And I think that's probably my passion um, is the extension part of my work and being able to give back to the communities that feed us. Definitely. And it comes through very strong in the work that you're doing and also just the way farmers respect your position and what you do for them and with them within the agricultural space. So thank you so much for that. As you mentioned, you focus specifically on sorghum. And that is our topic. We want to get into the nitty gritties of it today. Let's talk about just the overview of the sector so that we can just understand what the landscape looks like for sorghum production within the country firstly. And then we'll go into the other aspects of the topic as the conversation goes. Thanks. So it's actually really interesting. We had a sorghum forum meeting where we discussed sorghum and the whole value chain of sorghum. So the sorghum industry is a very small sector. I think this has a lot to do with the history of sorghum, its connectedness with South Africans, as well as the shifts in different crops. A lot more soybean is being planted, but we are starting to see a revival of, of sorghum and a renewed interest in planting sorghum because of its climate resilience and its value within different communities in South Africa. So yes, it is a small sector, but there is a revival. And as I said, we have small scale and commercial farmers that are growing sorghum, whether it be for daily consumption or livestock feeding, all the way up to you know the milling processes and malting processes. I know that there's a lot of drive from various bodies and organizations to push for this. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it will transition and change and grow over time within the country and also on the continent. Now, let's talk about the major diseases. Could you give us some details around the major diseases that affect sorghum crops 
and why understanding these diseases is crucial for farmers and the agricultural industry. So as a plant pathologist, that is my focus, looking at plant diseases. I think one of the most important things is to understand the difference between an abiotic disease and a biotic disease. So diseases that are caused by the environment, droughts or incorrect application of herbicides versus diseases that are biotic and caused by infectious living microorganisms. So as a plant pathologist and within my scope, I look at fungal plant pathogens, which are usually the pathogens that are responsible for a variety of diseases in sorghum. Although there are bacteria and viruses and nematodes, but my focus is fungi. One of the most prominent fungal pathogens is leaf blight. It is caused by Ixorahalum tersicum. And this is the same pathogen as leaf blight on maize. So you will see very similar symptoms. So some of the other major diseases is that of anthracnose, sooty stripe, rust, and some of the other leaf spots. What we're actually doing in our research group is I have a PhD candidate under my supervision, Tabiso Masisi, and we are doing a revival or a renewal of sorghum diseases found in South Africa. And we've been in contact with different producers across production regions, all the way up in Lebowahomo and Limpopo to Tugela Ferry in KwaZulu-Natal, across in the Northwest. And we started to see a variety of diseases that occur under different growing conditions. So the leaf diseases are the ones that we can see the most clearly when they have the most variety and they affect photosynthesis. So that means that, you know, there's less area for the plant to actually photosynthesize and produce the grain. Some of the diseases we see on the head, you know, on the panicle itself are some of the different smuts. So this is where the spores of the fungus completely take over the grain. So you are hoping to harvest grain, but you end up getting some spores. And then grain mold. And grain mold is caused by a variety of different fungi. And there's actually a health risk associated with grain mold for humans um, if, if they consume contaminated grains. So plant diseases aren't only something, you know, that we need to look at in isolation. They are something that we need to consider as circular, where we think, okay, healthy plants means healthy animals, healthy people, and a healthy environment. And obviously identifying these symptoms early on is important and also understanding what to look for. If I'm a farmer, I'm growing this specific commodity, I'm planting sorghum. What are the key symptoms that farmers should be looking for when diagnosing sorghum diseases in the field? And how can they differentiate between different pathogens? So one of the important things is first to know what a healthy plant looks like. That is where diagnosis starts. Because then if you can compare, I know this is what sorghum should look like. And if sorghum has a fungal, viral, or bacterial disease, for example, I know how it will vary or deviate from a healthy plant. So for the foliar diseases, one would usually look for lesions that have developed on the leaves. And most of them, or quite a few of them, are either circular or blotch. Like someone is, think about um, if you've ever dropped a bucket of paint and you know the paint splashes so some of them can have that like it kind of looks like a splash on the leaves small dots but other times there can be larger lesions that are cigar shaped making sure that you understand what a healthy plant looks like and be able to know if it's deviating from its healthy state is one of the critical things of disease diagnosis 
Definitely, I think we can incorporate uh, all of those images and research that you're doing currently into um, all of this content and how we're sharing it with our farmers because I think it's really valuable. Let's talk for a moment about the latest advancements in disease-resistant sorghum varieties and how these are really helping to combat the impact of these various diseases that you've just spoken about. Disease resistance is also something that probably doesn't take priority when doing breeding programs. I think the first thing that breeders look at is going to be yield and making sure that the cultivar is adaptable across different localities. So once they have yield and they're like, okay, this is a good cultivar with yield that they are happy with, then they'll start looking at where they can add value to the crop, looking at resistance particularly where there's high disease pressure for pathogens. And I think one of the greatest things that's probably happened is with the advancement of molecular technology, there are a lot of different ways that resistance can be evaluated, like different mechanisms that resistance is conferred can be identified. So this helps a lot. But the reality is any type of breeding takes time. And understanding the interactions between the host and the pathogen, you know, sometimes aren't only genetic, but they can also be biochemical. So this understanding has taken a focus. And I think at the end of the day, that resistance breeding is really important for producers that don't have access to other methods of disease management or disease control. So I hope in the future that we will see new varieties with really great resistance. There are already some available, but it would be nice to have some locally adapted varieties. And this is something that the Sorghum Cluster Initiative is going to be looking at going forward. And I'd love to talk more about the Sorghum Cluster Initiative as we get into the conversation, also to share some of the information about how it's set up for farmers to tap into that. Let's for a moment talk about your research and some of the most promising strategies for managing sorghum diseases and how these strategies are evolving over time. I know that time is something that you kind of have to just let it be and see how it grows and evolves. But if you could just give us a breakdown of what you've come up with so far. So if we think about sorghum, one of the production, one of the major issues is actually bird predation. So this is not a disease, but when I think about disease management, I immediately think integrated pest management. And birds are pests on sorghum. So what we're seeing is a lot of the smaller scale producers may have patches of sorghum and birds would prefer to go and eat on these smaller patches when there's, you know, larger fields of sorghum planted. So one of the management techniques is really something simple is if we have larger areas planted, then you will have less bird predation. But that is also dependent on the type of cultivar you plant. Birds love the sweet variety, so the lighter color sorghums, because they don't have tannin. And tannin sorghums, the bitter variety, you know, birds prefer not to eat it because of the tannin content. They're a bit more bitter. So when I think about integrated disease management, This is really dependent on how the producer has a cropping system and what crops are they rotating with their sorghum? How are they managing their soils? And I think one of the important things to realize about sorghum is its climate resilience. And producers are planting sorghum in areas that are drier, which means there usually is less disease because most fungal pathogens really enjoy cooler, wetter environments. Not always, but that is the general trend. I think one of the most important disease management strategies is then choosing where you plant. And if you know there's a history of that pathogen in that area, is there a possibility to plant somewhere else or rotate? 
and then selecting a cultivar that is well adapted to your area. And when you select or plant something, let's say you're using farm-saved seed, to select seed that you know is healthy, that you know is disease-free to the best of your knowledge or best of your ability. Because if you start with a healthy seed in the beginning of the season, you already reduce your risk significantly across the season. There are some techniques to intervene with disease during the season, and these are usually reactive and not so proactive. So there are fungicides available for leaf blights, and there are insecticides available for Carlo or the Buciola, for example. So it's just about having access to know when and what to apply and how to do so effectively. Now, I think you touched briefly on climate change. How does climate change and shifting weather patterns affect the prevalence and the spread of sorghum diseases and the prevalence of these predators, which is the birds? And what challenges does this present for growers? It's really interesting because a lot of the growers are becoming more and more aware of climate change and the impacts. They have a very intimate relationship with their farms and with the type of environment and weather and the climate that is there. And producers are informing us, you know, that there are shifts in the planting date time. And this is all driven by rainfall and the La Nina and El Nino seasons. Now, La Nina is usually associated with wetter seasons, where the El Nino season are with dry seasons. And there's a great professor at the University of Pretoria that has some research on this, Prof. Johan Landman, if I remember correctly. And he has a lot of research looking at how seasonal data influences crop production. So one of the things that we can see for climate change, shifting weather patterns and sorghum diseases is that there definitely will be a shift in the type of disease that we see in different areas. But most likely we will see reductions in certain diseases but then also increases in others. And this is also going to be dependent on, often when we think climate change, we think about above ground. But the soil is also deeply impacted by um, changes in temperature, UV, and also dryness. So we might see shifts in populations of soil pathogens. And this is something that we really need to take stewardship of and look at how this will change going forward. Definitely. I do agree with the fact that there is a huge shift with how farmers produce their crops, keeping in mind all of these shifts and the impact of climate change and how that affects their production day to day. So thanks so much for that overview, Lisa. Now, could you explain the role of genetics and genomics in breeding sorghum varieties that are more resilient to diseases? And how is this technology advancing? Most of the technology exists and we can apply it to sorghum. So there's a lot of maize breeding, for example. We can use the same techniques in sorghum. So I think that's one of the great things about the Sorghum Cluster Initiative. One of their main projects is going to be the evaluation of exotic germplasm as a precursor to sorghum pre-breeding. The idea here is to have almost like a pipeline of different hybrids that are bred under our conditions for all different types of producers to strengthen our breeding program and then to supplement hybrid pre-breeding programs. So here, this will be the type of cultivars that consumers prefer and also then cultivars that processors prefer. And this is really important when looking at the role of genetics and genomics, because at the end of the day, you need to use these tools to meet the needs of different 
stakeholders in the value chain. So I'm not a plant breeder, but I can see the nature of how plant breeding is woven in with the needs you know, of producers, of consumers, of processors. When I look at the technology, there's a lot of different mechanisms that are driving resistance and driving quality and driving nutrition. And even biofortification, for example, looking at how maize is incorporated with vitamin A or iron, the same kind of technologies can actually be implemented for sorghum. But I think there needs to be a greater demand and drive and market for sorghum before something like that is going to really take off at a more advanced level. What about the aspect of biosecurity, biosecurity measures should farmers and researchers implement to prevent the introduction and spread of new sorghum diseases in different regions? One of the most important things, and I'm coming back to a statement that I made earlier, is you know just being aware that plant diseases exist. Having knowledge of the difference between disease or disorder caused by the environment or agronomic practices versus something that is infectious and can be transmitted and spread like microorganisms. So a really excellent, unfortunate example is moving off plant material. So this really should be avoided at all costs, particularly if you know that there's a disease in a certain region and you're going to move material from that region into a disease-free area. And the example is of Fusarium and the Polyphagus shot hole borer. So Fusarium is a fungus and it is found to have a very close relationship with the Ambrosia beetle. And what happens is one of the mechanisms by which it spreads is infested trees. So movement of firewood, for example. This is one mechanism in which this pathogen spreads. So as an example, just knowing, you know, the movement of plant material is really important. And with that comes your seed source. Knowing where your seed is coming from. You know, is there a history of disease where that seed was produced? When you start your season, make sure you start with disease-free seed. It's quite simple. You can also, if you learn how to look at the difference between molded grain and healthy grain, you can sort them either manually or with a sieve. And I think one of the key things is just to have your feet on the ground, walk in your fields, scout for diseases. This also comes with knowing about them. You're not going to necessarily look for something if you're not aware of it. So find out if there's an extension officer or if you're new to sorghum production. Is there an extension officer? Do you know a producer that has knowledge and build that network to develop kind of a scouting system together? And then also, you know, if you are planting maize with your sorghum, there are some pathogens that overlap between hosts. That way, you know, you can be cautious for leaf blight. You know, also make sure if you need contacts for Dolred, the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Development. So there are different ways in which we can take responsibility as everyday citizens, not moving plant material, or as producers, being aware of the seed we use. So I think that's the most important when it comes to biosecurity. We all actually play a role in it, whether you're a farmer or a consumer. Thank you so much for that sound and very practical advice, Lisa. Can we discuss for a moment the economic impact of sorghum diseases on both large-scale and small-scale farmers? and how investing in disease management can improve crop yields and livelihoods. One of the things that I've really noticed from our sorghum surveys, when we travel to Limpopo, a lot of the producers are covering the sorghum panicles, the heads, with plastic Coke bottles or plastic Twizzler bottles, any of those brands, and the two-liter ones. 
And the reason for covering them is to make sure the birds don't eat that grain. One of the risks that come with that is that there's more likelihood for grain molds to develop because you've got this little incubator over your sorghum grain. But, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And when you have birds eating all your grain, you need to find a way to protect it. So there definitely is a economic impact of diseases on the small-scale farmers because this is what many of them rely on for porridges, feeding their chickens. And I think we need to look at sustainable ways that we can equip small-scale producers with practical tools to manage diseases. You know, the access to fungicides and the safe use of fungicides is not always a possibility for small-scale producers. But there's definitely an economic impact there. At a larger scale, we see much less bird damage, although it's there. Commercial producers don't necessarily have to cover the heads of their sorghum because they're planting much larger expanses and they're planting bitter sorghum. So the type of sorghum here again plays a very important role in your economic impacts. So most of the fungal diseases are going to affect the photosynthetic area, reducing the grain filling. But then you get grain molds and this usually if we have a high infestation of grain mold on your panicle, you are probably not going to yield much quality grain. And at a commercial scale, being able to deliver a large amount or tonnage is what you're relying on. So even if you have foliar diseases, you'll still actually get a good crop with quality grains, not as quality as without the disease, of course, but head rots and grain molds on the head are usually the biggest problem because you aren't going to be able to harvest anything of quality. So the economic impacts differ across the different production systems. Thanks so much, Lisa. I think we've covered so much ground and there's so much more. I'm sure we can talk on this topic, but let's talk about the innovative data-driven approaches or technology solutions that are assisting in the early detection management of sorghum diseases. I think you have touched on this in various aspects of responding to the previous questions. But if you can just be more specific about it and also how to prevent them, I think you have listed that as well. But just like in a short nutshell as we wrap up the conversation. So in the broader sense, there is a lot of innovative data-driven approaches. So if I um, look at some of my colleagues, they have a lot of cool remote sensing and imagery that is applied to soybeans, to maize, to detect using drone technology and different sensors where there are problem areas in a field. It can be anything from deficiencies or abiotic stresses, too little water, for example. Even sometimes they have programs that look at diseases, for example, sudden death syndrome, soybean. So these technologies are available. The application in sorghum is really um, very limited because in South Africa, it's not a crop that receives the same funding or attention as maize, soybean, sunflower, or the high-value crops. And that's just due to the nature of, of sorghum and its placement currently in South Africa. But there definitely is a shift that is being seen, which is really exciting for me. And I think also one of the things about data-driven approaches is like we can also rely on citizen science and getting data from our producers and just putting this in a place where everyone can have access to it. Um, obviously, you anonymize the information, but you know, having a platform where we can kind of say to industry, this is the information that producers have, 
and this is the needs they have that will also really drive solutions for us um, in the sorghum industry. Just looking ahead, what do you see as the most pressing challenges and opportunities in sorghum pathology and how can the agricultural community work together to address them effectively? And also just like a last comment to encourage farmers to join the cluster and a bit of more information on that and other support networks to grow this industry and take it, you know, even bigger than we expect. I want to start with the Sorghum Cluster Initiative. There are different ways to get involved and even chefs are getting involved with the Sorghum Cluster Initiative. And the reason why I mentioned it first is one of the biggest challenges for sorghum pathology is the fact that if we're going to increase our area planted, which is what we are hoping to see, is that there are going to be more chances or more risk for disease to develop because there are more sorghum plants. So luckily we are building up the knowledge now and updating our knowledge on sorghum diseases. And we hope that we don't have repeats. In the past, sorghum ergot was one of the really major head diseases of sorghum in South Africa. We can use that historic data to make sure that we don't reinvent the wheel and have more epidemics of that. So this is really where the Sorghum Cluster Initiative comes in. That's why it's called a cluster. It's got different people that are going to be working together using a network to create awareness, to share knowledge and equip producers. So I think one of the ways to get involved is to speak with AgriManage Solutions and I can share the information with you on that. So if you have a passion for sorghum, you know, and you want to get involved, you can contact them. If you want to know about sorghum diseases, you're welcome to contact me. But one of the other major issues um, for sorghum pathology will be a connectedness to the information and being able to communicate to communities, looking at how we can open up the market for producers. Is there a way we can structure cooperatives for producers that are at smaller scale to work together to have a a larger planting area to deliver to processes or to silos and processes. Ultimately, it also comes down to consumer preferences and consumer um, perceptions. So really we need to, as a sorghum industry, look at the value chain and look at how people are viewing sorghum and what are people's preferences and make an awareness and an interest and revive the tradition of sorghum in South Africa and keep our connectedness to this crop that's important to most South Africans. Thank you so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. Dr. Lisa Rothman, a lecturer in plant sciences at the University of the Free State. The work you're doing is amazing. And you can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And that's a wrap from me, Numdu, our technical producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food from Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.